This episode of MS Understood was recorded across multiple lands. I recognise and acknowledge that all of Australia is Aboriginal land and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. There are medications that are able to be taken during pregnancy and breastfeeding um, and that's just something that's really important to me personally for other women because this is something that happens so much when you know, women are in their uh, childbearing stage of life. Um, that's a typical time of diagnosis. Today on the MS Understood podcast, we chat with Claire Wilkin. She shares about breastfeeding and pregnancy while taking medication for her MS, managing the psychological side around the uncertainty of MS and how she hasn't yet talked to her kids about her diagnosis. Hi, Claire. Thank you so much for coming on the MS Understood podcast. How are you going? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. We're just going to dive straight in. So if you could tell us all about your diagnosis story, what led to it, and all of those bits, that would be great. Yep. Um, So I was diagnosed seven years ago, and I first started having symptoms when I was pregnant with my daughter, who's now seven and a half, actually. And I was sort of partway through the pregnancy, and I started noticing a lot of things that were really strange, a lot of uh, tingling sensations, Uh, particularly if I was exercising or something, I noticed that if I was going for a walk, then my feet would just be really intensely tingling and my hands would be as well and I noticed that it seemed to happen most if I put my head down I would get this like tingling or shock like kind of sensation run down my back and um, because I was pregnant so at that stage I was about 20 weeks into the pregnancy when I first started noticing symptoms um, a lot of people a lot of uh, Medical professionals at the time were just saying to me, well, pregnancy does strange things to your body and, you know, maybe the pressure of the pregnancy was putting pressure on a nerve in my back or something. And it was at first um, was very much a case of this is probably pregnancy related. One of the strange things that, you know, people feel when they're pregnant. Um, I never really felt right about that. I wanted to believe that it was just pregnancy related, but I didn't really feel like these things felt normal, but then I'd never been pregnant before. So I wasn't quite sure either. Um, And it was actually a physiotherapist towards the end of my pregnancy who first started suggesting to me that maybe there was something neurological going on. Um, And after my baby was born, I remember, um, you know, putting my head down and uh, trying to see whether the feeling was still there. And at first I thought that it had actually improved a little bit and then it started to come back and if anything was worse. Um, And so I found myself when my baby was about uh, 10 or 12 weeks old at the GP getting a referral to a neurologist. And then when I first saw the neurologist, uh, my the neurologist was very convinced that something was probably going on Um, and that then led maybe a few weeks later to my diagnosis. Wow. So you had a newborn, which is crazy on its own, and then you had this diagnosis, which you kind of, I imagine, anticipated coming. Were you breastfeeding at the time? 
Yeah, so I was. I was breastfeeding my daughter and breastfeeding was something that was really important to me personally. Um, I always wanted to feed my children until they were sort of at least 12 months old. Um, and one of my first fears when I was diagnosed was I'm not going to be able to continue feeding my child. Um, so that was something that was really because I think definitely, at the time. Yeah, I think in that case, the easy option definitely would be to start using formula. And that's definitely what I had thought was recommended. So did you continue to breastfeed after your diagnosis? I did. Um, it was something that for me personally wasn't really, a, I guess, something I I wanted to do at all was to wean. Um, it was certainly suggested as a possibility and a lot of people were, you know, well, you need to focus on your health and um, I agree with that. But to me it was really, really important to be able to continue um, feeding my baby. And so I sort of sought out options that meant that I would be able to do that. Um, I had a course of steroids when my baby was sort of not long after the diagnosis, so I guess by that stage, I think she was about four months old. Um, and I had the kind of, you know, steroids to control the relapse. Um, and I was able to get advice about being able to continue doing, to, to take that medication even while I was breastfeeding. Um, and at that stage, I was advised that I should just discard some of the milk and then feed my baby expressed milk, um, which I did. Um, but now I believe the advice with that is that you can actually continue feeding even while taking those steroids. Um, And then I sought out a longer, um, like a longer term medication that meant that I would be able to continue feeding as well. Because I think from my understanding, most of the medications that we are recommended, uh, it's not recommended to breastfeed or be pregnant whilst taking those. Um, Yeah. So you found one, would you, be happy to share which you were recommended actually I was like maybe we shouldn't do that and people need to talk to their doctors if that's something they're interested in yeah I mean I think it's important to get your own advice and there are certainly some um, MS medications that are not suitable at all for so there are some that are um, I think they call them category x for uh, breastfeeding and pregnancy Um, one the one that's coming to mind for me particularly is Orbagio. I know that that's really dangerous to take if you're um, pregnant uh, because it can cause um, birth defects, but there are medications that are able to be taken during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Um, And that's just something that's really important to me personally for other women, because this is something that happens so much when, you know, women are in their, our childbearing stage of life um that's a typical time of diagnosis it's something that's really important for me to want other people to know um that there are options um yeah because like you said our co- the most commonly diagnosed time is between 20 and 40 which is the most commonly you know common time for people to have babies or women to get pregnant yeah and it also as you know and as i was told is it's not recommended to get pregnant on most of the medications. So it's important, yep. I think, that, that we share that 
it is a possibility to take medication. And if you're breastfeeding, like that could be like you, you know, up to 12 months, you said you were um, keen to breastfeed for up to 12 months or at least, at least 12 months. You know, yeah. that's a long time to not be taking medication with a disease like this. It is. Um, and it's, you know, there are risks associated with that as well. And that was something that I remember spending many, many hours worrying and thinking about was, you know, what are the, what are the risks and benefits of taking particular medications or taking um, other medications that, but to me at the time um, and still one of the most important things was to be able to breastfeed my babies. And I do remember speaking with another, with a breastfeeding counsellor who also had an MS diagnosis and her oh, saying wow. to me, you know, well, this is really, really important to you. And um, it's something that, you know, right now is um, something that I really wanted to do. And so being able to um, find a way, I guess. Um, and my neurologist was actually really great at working with me on that as well. Um, and there are some amazing services out there that um, provide advice to people about medications and um, breastfeeding and pregnancy. Um, yeah, because so, you have a second child who you... Yes. Um, and I think that's something else that can be really daunting is do you, um, after diagnosis, I had my son before I was diagnosed, so I never had to think yes. about that, but do you go back for child number two or, mm. or if child number one, if you've been diagnosed before your diagnosis, uh, sorry, if you've been diagnosed yeah. before having kids, like how do you manage that? And so was there a lot of conversation and a lot of um, thought put into deciding to have go through that second pregnancy and have a second child? There was. Um, I mean, I remember not long after I was diagnosed feeling like I shouldn't have another child because I didn't want to put, you know, cause risks to another child um, or um, have, you know, risks to me as well with uh, further pregnancy. And, and often pregnancy is a sort of stable time for MS, but for me I'd been through um, the experience of having first symptoms kind of onset while I was pregnant um, which was a little bit unusual um, but yeah, and so really I was unusual. concerned yeah it's apparently not very common to have that although you know certainly does happen um, because pregnancy is often actually a time where um, the whole system goes into kind of more of a, um, a state where you're not as likely to have a relapse um, whereas the postpartum period after a baby's born is a big risk of relapse time. And that was something that was really concerning to me as well, that I might have another baby and then have a relapse. Um, I guess I was fortunate. So my children are four years apart. Um, and the fact that I had my MS diagnosis was definitely a factor in them being that further uh, apart. Um, so I wasn't ready at all after my daughter was born to have another pregnancy reasonably quickly. Um, so things had fortunately stabilised and I'd become quite stable on the um, medication that I was taking and uh, then actually got advice that I was able to. So I stopped the medication briefly um, whilst I 
um, once I knew I was pregnant, so I continued the medication whilst I was trying to conceive the second child um, and then stopped it once I knew I was pregnant and then started it again uh, in the second trimester of the second pregnancy. So that's um, just to get that, through that first trimester. Is that the, the yeah. um, reasoning for that? Yeah, that's right. And that was probably out of an abundance of caution, even stopping it for that first trimester. Um, but there are some amazing specialist pharmacists out there that can give advice about um, this sort of thing. Um, and it was with their advice that I was able to to know that that was a safe thing to then start that medication again during the second trimester. I remember calling them again and uh, being, you know, are you sure that this is the right thing to do? And the pharmacist was very much, yes, it's the right thing to do and to reduce the risk of relapsing after the pregnancy, after my second child was born. Yeah, wow. Um, and so you've got your, so you you took the medication through that pregnancy and then you breastfed your second child while still taking your medication? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah, like we've said, it's a really key thing for us to be able to share because it's so uncommon that you hear that. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, the common advice out there is um, if you need to take medication, then wean in order to take that medication. But um, getting sort of specialist advice from someone who can talk to you about the way that the medication actually works. Um, so not all medications actually enter the milk because, so for example, the one that I'm on, the molecules are actually too big for the medication to be able to enter the milk. Oh, that's really And then the way that the medication, so the, so what the medication is means that even if it did enter the milk, it would just break down in the baby's tummy. Um, so the advice I've been given is it's not likely to enter the milk in the first place anyway. And even if it did, it would just break down like a protein in their tummy and it's not something that they would actually receive any um, medication from essentially. So, um, yeah, it's oh. really interesting to know. That. Yeah, thanks um, so much for sharing that. I just I know that there'll be women out there who are have just been diagnosed who haven't had kids or are like you are the you know early in their first um, pregnancy or various stages who are you know worried and now that they they're aware that there's quest more questions they could be asking. Yeah, and it's um, just really great to be able to get that sort of specialist advice and to be able to. Um, talk it through with a neurologist and, you know, pharmaceutical companies that produce the medications will often give the advice of, you no, know, don't breastfeed on this medication. But once you get the specialist kind of advice about how the medication actually works and what it's made of, um, you are actually able in some cases to feed on it. Not all, of course, there are some yeah. medications that are definitely not suitable, yeah. um, but there are a number of options that are so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you talk to your kids about MS now? So they're seven and a half and three and a half. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So I actually haven't spoken to them about it very much. Um, yeah. I've been fortunate that I've been pretty stable in my symptoms and haven't needed to talk to them about it, although I think it is getting to the point that I definitely need to talk to my daughter, who is the older one, about it more, um, and that's something that I 
definitely want to do. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a challenge that's coming up for me, I guess. Um, oh, my son said he, my son's six and a half, and he said to me the other day, "I have a birthmark, a mole on the back of my neck," and he goes, "Mum." you're so interesting. You've got a mole and you have MS. So they're, they're much more understanding, I think, than we give them credit for. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think yeah. that they, um, I've always actually taken the approach of being really open with my kids with most things. So yeah. um, I guess this is a little bit unusual that I haven't been as open um, about it, but it is something that I do want to talk to, in particular, my daughter, the older one, yeah. about um, how do you, you said you're, you've been relatively stable with your symptoms. How do your symptoms show up now? Um, so it's mostly the sensory kinds of symptoms that I get. Um, so uh, tingling and sort of unusual feelings. I get burning sensations in my arms and legs occasionally as well. Um, and the fatigue that a lot of people experience as well is the other thing that I also experience I guess I've been very lucky not to have disabling symptoms as such yeah I think um I mean as we all know everyone's symptoms are so vastly vastly different um is there anything that you do day to day that you find that helps with the symptoms that you have but particularly fatigue um so try to get obviously try to get rest and um just yeah, sort of rest it at, very, at various different opportunities. So um, I guess with kids and especially kids that are active and kids that don't necessarily sleep well, which has definitely been my experience with kids, um, just focusing on that rest rather than necessarily on sleep um, has been really important to me. So um, having restful times during the day with the kids um, and trying to yeah, get uh, like my my husband's been fantastic with um his sort of when the babies were younger uh, would get up early with them so that I would then be able to get extra rest in the morning or um, go back to go back to bed after I'd been up with them um early in the mornings or um so that sort of getting rest whenever possible um yoga is another thing that's really good for me i do lots of yoga um and i also really like to swim and being in the water seems to help um with symptom management as well as um just it's relaxing for me so mm. yeah i've just got back into snorkeling which is really lovely oh wow just float yeah yeah um, speaking of yoga and swimming, is there any other supports that you utilise? So do you go to a physio or do you use a therapist? Like how do you, um, yeah, what supports do you utilise to manage your MS? Yep. Um, so I don't go to a physio currently, but I have in the past um, and that's been very important for the sort of, I get a lot of lower back pain as well. I'm not certain that that's associated with MS, um, but uh I think it exacerbated some of the symptoms that I was having um, and a physio was great for that. Um, I speak to a psychologist regularly um, who, because probably the biggest battle for me has actually been the psychological side of um, MS and the uncertainty and speaking to, I have an amazing psychologist who I speak to regularly um, and that is really, really important and helpful for me. 
Yeah, I think um, that um, that uncertainty and the emotional and um, mental side of things is really underrated or under talked about. You know, we talk a lot about the physical symptoms that people get, but it's very, very common for people with MS, I've heard, to get um, depression because of even just because of where the lesions are in their brain. Um, and I think it's super key for everyone, but also particularly for us to see, speak to a professional um, about those things. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that um, people with MS often do have higher rates of depression and anxiety. Um, and like you said, that can often be partly because of the physical impacts of the illness in itself. And also, I think then the worries that are associated with it as well. I know for me that uncertainty and the fear was enormous, uh, particularly in the early days after um, my my diagnosis initially, that, that fear and worry about what it would mean, and especially when I had this new baby, yeah. um, was huge. Um, Have you found having, can... finding... oh, Sorry. Sorry, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just saying you said quite, you know, early on it was quite profound, the amount of worry and anxiety you felt about it. Do you feel like that's reduced over time or are you just managing it better? A bit of both, I think. Um, I think that uh, I've probably found strategies for managing it and focusing on sort of day-to-day life and rather than trying to get myself caught up in the future potentials of what might happen. I, if I think about it too much, I still get very worried. Um, yeah. So it's not that I don't, that I am saying don't think about it or don't be concerned about it, but um, that focusing on the day-to-day and on what's actually happening here and now has become really an important management technique for me. I think it's um, um, important for everyone to focus on the here and now, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Um, and I, I remember when that was first said to me about we'll focus on now, not on what might happen or it, it didn't, it felt kind of, I don't know, trite almost. Um, but I think that that's something that I've come to accept a lot more um, over time. Um, have you changed the way that you eat? I know a lot of people focus on various diets and Um, various ways of eating to help with their MS um, symptoms. Have you changed or, you know, any of those things changed the way you're eating since you've been diagnosed? I certainly initially did um, follow some of the diets quite strictly. Um, I've become a little bit more relaxed over time um, with that, but I still am mindful of what I so I try to avoid, you know, heavily saturated fats, for example. Um, that's something that seems to be um, often advised. And so I and I try to try to avoid processed meats and um, eat only sort of minimal amounts of dairy. Um, so I have changed some things in my diet, but I have relaxed a bit in terms of doing that as strictly as I did when I was first diagnosed. Um, but I also take um, some supplements as well, so vitamin D in particular um, and magnesium as well. Um, I find that both of those things are helpful for me. 
I think um, I'm amazed that you managed to change the way you're eating with a, a newborn because I tell you what, I couldn't put my pants on the right way around when I had a newborn. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's, um, but like you said, um, reducing saturated fat and not eating processed meats are, are pretty common across any ways of healthy eating. And I suppose not just mm. to do with MS, I suppose that's the key to so many of these things that people recommend is they're recommended for everyone. But when you get That's this right. kind of wake up call, you think, oh, well, I better do it now. But they're the, the things that everyone yeah. should be doing really. Yeah, that's right. And and that's what I remember what my neurologist said to me at the time as well, that, you know, well, he didn't specifically recommend that any particular diet was necessary, but um, eating healthily and eating lower amounts of saturated fats and focusing on unprocessed foods could only be beneficial to anyone. Yeah. Um, and so I guess I suppose I try to do those things. Uh, the one thing I still haven't um, found a way out with is sugar. <laughs> I'm, I'm a terrible sugar addict and um, still haven't found a way to not uh, include that in my diet. So. Oh, but it's so delicious. And my neurologist actually said quite early on the same thing. I was like, oh, should I change the way I'm eating? And he said, if you get stressed about what you are or you're not eating, that's worse for you than the piece of cake. So eat the piece of cake. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So the stress is worse um, for you than the bad food. Yeah. And I uh, came to accept that quite early on as well that because I I did get very stressed about it in the early days and then I started to notice well actually I think this stress is worse for me than yeah than the piece of cake or the piece of chocolate so yeah eat the yummy food um yeah can you tell me what is the best thing to have happened to you because of your MS oh that's a difficult question um I think probably just the ability of focusing on the small things and what like those times with kids for example that are just so filled with joy um and realizing that if you get too caught up in the possibilities of everything um that might happen and the fear of that then you miss out on those moments. So I probably lost a fair bit of time with my daughter when she was younger. Um, and then I realised that it, that wasn't sort of helpful for anyone, um, least of all her, and certainly wasn't helpful for my relationship with her either. And so I guess it's that gratitude and that um, connecting with people in the moment and focusing on those little tiny joys that are there all the time. What an incredible thing to have learnt about yourself from this. I think there's no, there's nothing better in life, regardless of what your circumstances are, mm. than enjoying those small moments, particularly with your kids, but with anything, because you just don't know what's going to happen to anybody. Um, no. Yeah. And, and I remember people saying that to me so much you know about like my mum saying for example oh, well, none of us know what's going to happen and none of us know what might happen the next day and, and I always felt like well but, but now I've got this diagnosis and I've got this additional added uncertainty that other people don't have and um, I think 
just realizing that really it is very true that none of us know what's going to happen and just focusing on those little moments is so it's where I find peace in all of it so and not just with MS but with other um, you know other worries as well and it's so easy to get caught up and I'm an anxious kind of person who easily gets caught up in worries Um, so coming back to that uh, moment is really crucial I think it has been for me anyway yeah definitely what's different about our uncertainty is that we're certain about it as opposed to everyone's uncertainty of you know the walking down the street and getting hit by the bus thing is you know no one's life is certain we're just more aware of ours yeah maybe that's true actually I hadn't really thought of it like that but that's perhaps a really good way of explaining it that Mm. well uh, our uncertainty is more obvious and yet certain Um, it's it's more certain it's more obvious yes (laughs) um but it yeah but I think you know as you said is there's no there's no everyone should be living with those and enjoying those little joys because no one's life is certain Mm. yeah um, the last question I love to ask people is what is something you would tell people to make MS more understood? I think that knowing that MS is in many, many people's um, cases an invisible illness. Um, it certainly is for me. I've been fortunate enough not to need um, mobility aids, for example, or um, I don't have an obvious disability um, if people they don't realise that um, there are many invisible symptoms um, and I think that that's probably something, particularly with the massive improvements that there have been in medications for MS, um, which is amazing for all of us, um, that there have been so many advances and that it can sort of be stopped in its tracks um, in many cases now um, and doesn't progress, uh, but there are still those invisible kinds of symptoms that people don't don't see and so aren't aware of. Um, and that's probably one of the most important things, I think, in understanding it. Yeah. Thank you, Claire. Thanks so much for sharing your story today with us on the MS Understood Thank podcast. you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of MS Understood. You can find me at claire.riley or at MS Understood Podcast. The best thing you can do to support this podcast is click follow on Spotify, subscribe on your other podcast listening platforms and share this episode on your Instagram. Don't forget to tag MS Understood Podcast. Thanks again for listening and please share this episode with someone you think it might help.